Today, from the global lane, presidential leadership reaffirmed what the re-election of Xi Jinping means for the USA and the world. He is going to continue to lead the Chinese Communist Party forward. Things that people find terribly egregious about the Chinese Communist Party, in particular his leadership uh, of the party, are going to continue and accelerate. The USA's leftward shift. A Chinese immigrant warns of dangerous parallels. In China, they use class struggle movement. Right now, they use critical race theory, racial struggle movement. They are launching a cultural revolution in America. And the COVID pandemic and the Fauci leadership effect. It was devastating, and not just to the United States, but to really the entire world. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. Presidential longevity in China. What might a third five-year term for President Xi Jinping mean for East Asia and the world? Thousands of party leaders gathered for the 20th Chinese Communist Party Congress in Beijing this week, where they applauded Xi's achievements of the past five years and laid out plans for the next five. Here to provide some insights on what to expect is retired Brigadier General Robert Spaulding. Mr. Spaulding is author of War Without Rules, China's playbook for global domination. General Spaulding, Rob, it's great to talk with you again. First, your thoughts on this Communist Party Congress. Have you noticed anything different from the last gathering, say, five years ago, or is it more of the same? Well, I think the big difference is the recognition that she's going to be around for the rest of his life. You know, there was speculation prior to this that um, maybe she was being, maybe there was a coup, maybe he was being moved out. It's clear that he is going to continue to lead the Chinese Communist Party forward. And, um, and so from that standpoint, I think uh, his speech on Sunday laid out a pretty clear message that the things that people find terribly egregious about the Chinese Communist Party, in particular his leadership uh, of the party, are going to continue and accelerate. So um, I don't expect much to change in terms of the things that, that seem to be frustrating to a lot of people out there. Well, if the CCP is in this continual state of war without rules that you mentioned in your book, specifically then, where do you expect China to dominate militarily? On the sea, with an expanded navy, leaps forward in outer space, cyberspace, AI, where? Well, I think all the above, uh, one of the challenges that they'll have now that the Biden administration has really gone out after um, the chip industry, uh, assisting them in elevating their um, their chip technology, I think they're going to be hindered by that, um, just in their ability to have the most advanced chips at me. That uh, um, that still means that they they do have some chip industry. It's just going to be um, you know several generations behind where the United States is. That being said, you know militarily they're they're looking pretty squarely at Taiwan, and she said that. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things that we have to consider is that at any time, uh, particularly after this uh, party Congress, and then March is when uh, they lay out the next five-year plan, I, I, I can expect or we can expect that, you know, it's, it's possible the Chinese can invade n nearly at any time after this party Congress is over. Well, at that CCP Congress, you mentioned President Xi again threatened Taiwan. The Chinese economy is in decline a bit, and the United States is China's top trading partner. More than half a trillion dollars in goods each year. So how can they afford a conflict with the U.S. right now in Taiwan or anywhere else? 
Well, they have been accelerating their transition to their own uh, market economy based on the Belt and Road Initiative, their relationship with Russia, Iran, and North Korea, and other authoritarian states. Um, they and the Russians uh, in particular, uh, and the Iranians and North Koreans for that matter, all want to get off the dollar. So it, it seems that what they're going to try to do, or attempt to do, is use the yuan as the or the renminbi, the Chinese currency, as the the dominant currency in that system. And uh, when you look across the nations of the Belt and Road Initiative, you know they get a lot of uh, energy from Russia and Iran. They have raw materials from uh, countries in Africa and other areas. And so they're going to create their own economy that's based on uh, nations that's. Uh, follow the Chinese model, which is a model of oppression of their people. And, um, you know, unfortunately for the Chinese uh, and the Chinese people, they've had access to the U.S. and other free market economies for over three decades. That's allowed them to take technology, talent and capital. So hopefully going forward, as we recognize the second Cold War, we'll begin to treat the uh, these nations, these authoritarian nations, like we did the Soviet Union, cut them off from that technology, talent, and capital. And the first indication that, that things are going that way is the fact that the Biden administration just announced that they're going after the Chinese chip industry in a big way. Uh, and, and essentially, when you look at it from the Chinese side, what they're saying is they've essentially decapitated uh, China's ability to uh, evolve their chip industry. So that's a good first start. Clearly not enough because there's other things like pharmaceuticals and rare earth metals that we've got to get after. But if we keep this up, I think we're on a good path. And the Chinese government told its citizens in Ukraine this week to evacuate immediately. That warning fueled fears of a Russian nuclear attack in the war there. So what do you make of that? Well, I do. Uh, I am concerned that we're closer to the use of a nuclear weapon than we ever were during the Cold War, precisely because... During the Cold War, there was still a respect and fear for those types of weapons. And, uh, you know, what I what I feel that uh, I see today in nation's capitals around the world is this more or less cavalier attitude when nuclear weapons are discussed. Oh, that's not a possibility. Uh, Putin would never do that. Uh, the, ne the weapons never went away, but the seriousness uh, and respect and, and, and some of the fear that we had for those weapons has disappeared from capitals around the world to include Washington, D.C. Now, that gives me a great pause because I do think that uh, we'll be willing to push Putin in ways that we probably wouldn't have done during the Cold War because we recognize the danger of, of having those weapons be used. And so, you know, the standoff, for instance, the Cuban Missile Standoff, you know, President Kennedy uh, was uh, wide awake and understood the implications of uh, of nuclear war, and understood the seriousness, understood the damage, and in, in the in the quite you know how close we were to destroying humanity. And I think that's the kind of fear and respect that you know politicians in the West and the free world need to understand. Because I know that for a fact that Putin is as seriously you know considering those weapons because of the way that you know he. He still understands that in many ways those weapons didn't go away and they're still an important part of his arsenal. Whatever happened to mutually assured destruction, right? You use them against us, we'll use them against you. So retired U.S. Air Force Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, author of the book War Without Rules, China's playbook for global domination. We always appreciate your insights. Thanks for being with us, Rob. Thank you. 
Another record turnout is expected when Americans go to the polls for midterm elections next month. More than two million people have already cast ballots. Will voters embrace the status quo or choose to reverse the government's leftward shift? Mike Zhao is former director of global planning at Siemens Energy and author of the book Critical Race Theory and Woke Culture, America's Dangerous Repeat of China's Cultural Revolution. Mike, prior to immigrating to the United States in 1992, I know you experienced the Chinese communist system firsthand. Your father was persecuted during Mao's Cultural Revolution in the 1960s. So tell us about that and your family's experience. Yeah, actually, my father endured political persecution, humiliated, tortured, and lost freedom for six years. But the political persecution also extended to my grandparents simply because they were the landlords before they were deprived of the right to live in the cities, uh, you know, forced to relocate to mountains, a village. And my grandma passed away a few months later after heart attack, you know. My mom also passed away many years later, suffered all because of the Cultural Revolution. Well, tell, tell us a little more. What did they do to you? What, uh, how was that as a child growing up? Yeah, I really endure extreme poverty, you know, also no any political freedom, no individual freedom. So, you know, I realized that, yeah, I did not realize that after I really come to America in 1992, I, you know, achieved my American dream by, you know, living in two different countries. I realized, you know, America is the greatest nation on earth. And you see similarities with the leftward shift of American culture and government now. Explain what is happening here in the United States that concerns you and reminds you of your experience in China under Mao. Yeah, basically, you know, they are launching a cultural revolution in America. Yeah, they are like a few things all come from Karl Marx, right? In China, they use class struggle movement. Right now, they use critical race theory, racial struggle movement, label people as oppressors, oppressed, you know, dividing people. They use the like a, a political correctness, council culture to silence the opposition. They use the 19 as, as the 1619 project uh, to really to rewrite American history. They top down the statue of uh, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. You know, they indoctrinate American people, young children with critical race theory. Everything they are doing is just repeat of Chinese Cultural Revolution. Well, I mean, what do you think we need to do then as a result of this? Yeah, we first, we need to really uh, cherish our America's funding principle, like uh, protection, individual rights, uh, parents' rights should not allow indoctrination. We should fight against any censorship and protect our freedom of speech. We should preserve America's like a free market system. We also need to educate our children. You know, our children are very nice but they are misled by the, you know, radical left. We need to teach them critical thinking. Every policy, if you look at it, you should not only look at the purpose of policy, you should look at the results. Communism stating purpose was great, help the poor, but it led to over 100 million deaths worldwide and also starvation, you know, worldwide. So we need to really teach our children. 
I also want our you know voters to vote for Republican. We you know only when Republican control the Congress, Senator, we can fight against critical race theory and woke culture in America. And you also mentioned uh, how you believe affirmative action actually discriminates against Asian American students. So, tell us about that and how else is the political left discriminating against Asians? Yeah, I can, that's primarily, actually, I have been leading Asian American nationwide, fighting against the elite, you know, Ivy League schools discrimination. They use, uh, like, racial equity, affirmed action to really uh, limit the enrollment of the uh, Asian American children, also uh, white Americans. So we are having a ready October 30th in front of U.S. Supreme Court, and hopefully, you know, we can strike down the risk-based action forever. And, and polls have shown that Asian Americans overwhelmingly support Democrats. President Biden won Asian voters by 44 percent over Trump in 2020. So how likely is it that most Asians will vote Democrat in the midterm election next month? Yeah, I, I want to tell you, uh, Asian American already risen up. Example, it was Asian American in, in San Francisco who like defeat, uh, recalled the left, uh, you know, school board member, also left DA in San Francisco. Many, you know, Asian American like me already spoken out against America's cultural revolution, like she, uh, uh, she Van Lee fleet in uh, Loudoun County, Virginia, is a great example. Okay, they're a little more conservative than most people uh, believe Asian Americans are. The book is Critical Race Theory and Woke Culture, America's Dangerous Repeat of China's Cultural Revolution. Mike Zhao, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. As he prepares to retire from his position as White House chief medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci tells ABC News he, quote, gave it everything he had. Our next guest believes that by giving us his all, Fauci actually harmed the United States. Jeff Hayes is the producer of the new documentary film, The Real Anthony Fauci. The film is based on the book of the same name by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Jeff, thanks for being here. Dr. Fauci is a polarizing figure. Some people love him, others dislike him. I'm assuming you believe that his leadership at NIH during the COVID crisis was a big mess. Share with us the main point of your film. Yeah, it was It was more than a big mess. It, it was uh, devastating, and not just to the United States, but to really the entire world. Anybody who followed his recommendations was severely damaged. This book that Bobby wrote, The Real Anthony Fauci, was a phenomenon this year. The book was the most suppressed book of my lifetime. It sold a million copies. It was 17 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. And in spite of that, there's still not been one major media review of the book. Book. Bookstores wouldn't carry it. It was, you know, a, a phenomenon that it sold a million copies. When I read the book, I, for me, Fauci was just a guy who appeared, you know, at Trump's side, and he's avuncular, grandfatherly. I liked him as he spoke. He seemed very rational. And then things started to not add up. His his changing his mind on whether mask works worked or not. Some little things. But then when I read the book and read what he had actually done and what his history was, I was stunned. I think the main criticism most people have about Fauci is the negative consequences, of course, of the lockdown policies. 
that he supported. Now, he said he had nothing to do with school shutdowns, but tell us more about that. What did you find? Yeah, so it really, the story starts in 1984 when he took over the infectious and allergy department of the NIH. And it was a small department and he was a bureaucrat. But then the AIDS epidemic hit, and he jockeyed to get AIDS assigned to his department. And in his career, he has given out, distributed $930 billion. So you can imagine the power base that he built and the people that, that disagreed with him, their careers were ruined. He took, he backed AZT at the time, the most expensive drug ever that ever been created. It was $10,000 for a course. It was the most deadly chemotherapy drug that had ever been introduced to mankind. He had no interest in, in off-label drugs that doctors were telling him were working. Instead, put it all in AZT. It, the results have been devastating. You roll that forward with COVID, he did the same thing again where he had no interest in what doctors were telling him about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine that they were working with patients. He wouldn't do studies on those. He sidelined those drugs, uh, made them unavailable to doctors, instead backed remdesivir, which was an Ebola drug that was so deadly they quit using it for Ebola patients. Nurses started calling it run death is near instead of remdesivir. Well, and we know uh, he refuses to acknowledge the virus came from the Wuhan lab, and he's denied that uh, he was involved in gain-of-function research being done in Wuhan with U.S. government, uh, government money. So what did you discover about that? Well, it's it's it over half of his budget. The reason he's the highest paid employee in the federal government out of over 4 million employees, higher than the president, higher than Supreme Court justices, is because he's got two budgets. He has his regular NIAID budget, but they've also added $2.2 billion a year in annual budget from the Defense Department to do this research. Uh, you know, this is... Stunning. I, I think if you know, after the midterms, if Rand Paul gets subpoena power, you're going to see exactly what's happened. But the amount of money that is being divided up at the NIH, literally by the by the scientists themselves, is $350 million. Under the Freedom of Information Act, we've been able to get a list of who who gets that money, but not who paid it, not the amount, and where you know what it's being paid for. All of this is going to come to light. But this is the power base that he wields. Okay. Well, we'll see what uh, is going to happen with the midterms, and if there will be accountability afterwards. The film is the real Anthony Fauci. Producer Jeff Hayes, how and where can people view it? You can see it online at therealanthonyfaucimovie.com. And we're having to play a little cat and mouse. People are trying to block the film. Uh, of course, it's being you know silenced on social media. So if people like it, we're asking them to share it. But it's up for free for nine more days at therealanthonyfaucimovie.com. Okay, thank you, Jeff, for being with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Just when the people of Kyiv were enjoying a bit of normalcy in the midst of war came this, kamikaze drone attacks courtesy of Russia and Iran. This one was caught on a police body cam as officers opened fire on the drone, hoping to shoot it down. Yes, Russian President Putin is getting desperate.
now resorting to the use of drones to carry out his evil deeds against the Ukrainians. Many people around the world have likened Putin to Hitler, and for good reason. Take a look at the death and destruction caused by the Kyiv drone bombings. Now look at this World War II film. It's of the 1944 Blitz, when Hitler sent B-2 rockets crashing into buildings in London. More than 3,000 rockets bombarded British and Allied positions, and perhaps as many as 9,000 innocent civilians and military personnel were killed back then. That was Hitler's tactic 78 years ago in England. This is Putin's today in Ukraine. Many people in Kyiv, like this man, wonder what the Russian president may do next. You look at what's happening now, um, Russia annexed or said that they were annexing territories a couple of weeks ago, and right now Ukraine's already liberating quite significantly large areas of that. So I absolutely believe they can win, and they are winning. It's just a case of how long and also a case of what Putin decides to do in the meantime. Folks, a dangerous regional alignment is taking place that poses a threat not only to Ukraine, but also to the world. Earlier this month, Iran promised to send more drones and ballistic missiles to Russia. Still, Russia denies that it has unleashed Iranian drones on Ukraine. The United States maintains that the drone and missile transfers violate a 2015 U.N. Security Council resolution, while Iran denies that it is violating international law. Regardless, it's time for Western powers, along with the U.N., to unite and take additional measures against both countries. Perhaps a global ban on Russian and Iranian oil should be enacted. Yes, it will hurt our pocketbooks, but the only way to end the war is to deny Putin, the Russian oligarchs, and the Ayatollah, and their cronies cold, hard cash. Russia and Iran have the ability to stop this ungodly action. They must be forced to do so. So let's not forget Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4, where we're told that we must vindicate the weak and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and destitute, rescue the weak and needy, and save them from the hand of the wicked. God expects us to intervene. So let's not only pray for peace, but let's also take decisive multilateral action to end the bloodshed before more innocent lives are lost. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.